Hello, friends! Welcome to episode three of Investigating Shrek, a podcast. Today, we leave behind our introduction and enter part one of the podcast, uh, Shrek in the Classroom. So, first off, uh, I will be discussing chapter two of Investigating Shrek called Representing Political Regimes in Shrek with my dad. Hi, Dad! Hi, Catherine! <laughs> What's going on? How's your day? Day was, you know, like like every other day for the last year. <laughs> Lots of Zoom calls. Um, busy, busy. But uh, nice to talk to you. Nice to be on your podcast. So thank you for inviting me. Yeah, of course. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about your personal experience with Shrek before we dig into the chapter. So what do you what do you remember? Like what are your first memories of Shrek? Um, I mean I've seen all the movies, but like when I think of Shrek I really think most about the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I remember the second and the third, I remember the plot, I remember the characters, but I didn't see it over and over again like I did the first one, mm-hmm. you know, with you and, and James. Um so, you know, I remember it really well. Uh, similar to, to your comments in the opening, um, the music was a big part for me, and it was super fun to, you know, experience the soundtrack with with you. Um, you know, some of those songs are songs that I've known, you know, for a long time. So it was cool to, uh, you know, have you get exposed to that music but some of it was also new and um, like, I kind of knew who counting crows were, but you know, got to know counting crows a lot more. Yeah. Um, so I, I totally agreed with your, your comments about the soundtrack being, being a big part. And, and also the, uh, the voices of the characters was another um, big fun thing for me. I mean, those are, those are actors that I've known so hearing them do animation for a, a family film, you know, I just thought it was so well cast and so well executed. Uh, I, I just loved it. Yeah, that's great. And like I like I mentioned, um, I guess in the in episode one, it it was a big part like of my childhood and and being in the car all the time and listening to the soundtracks and um yeah so. and, and even even beyond the movie and the impact on other things um you know as you know i'm a i'm a big sports fan and i'm a jet fan and there was a very brief period where the jets were actually good and you know their their color is green and they were not a flashy team. They were they were doing well, but they were, quote, winning ugly. Um, so they adopted this whole idea of of Shrek. So I don't know if you remember this, but we had all <laughs> no these like this. headband, headband. It was like a headband, but with the Shrek ears. Uh-huh. And uh, they gave those out at the stadium, um, you know, while they were going through this, you know, winning ugly phase oh as a Jets gosh. fan. So Shrek became like a mascot for the Jets for one season. Oh my gosh. Did the Jets even have a mascot? No, no, it's not really a mascot kind of kind of thing. Yeah. But they 
they just had this character about them that year that, uh, and in part because they're green uniforms, mm-hmm. that they were uh, very much like like Shrek. I think the timing was was important. Like Shrek was really popular at the time. Okay. So uh, I think one of the it might have been this chapter, um, maybe it was another one. Uh, that talked about you know the impact on popular culture and all the merchandising and yeah you know, it might have been the first one we talked a little bit about um, like the box office success as well as like Shrek action figures and Shrek mm-hmm. backpacks and and other kinds of stuff you can get with Shrek's face on it um, and I just can't imagine like adding up all that money to see, like. I read an article one time about how much money like Frozen made mm. and they made so much money on Frozen that they literally separated it from the Disney princess situation. So it's like, there's like all the Disney princesses and then there's like the Frozen set wow. of like characters and stuff because they just made so much money. It, it like didn't make sense for them to keep them in with the Disney princesses. Right. Right. Yeah. It was uh, enough of a, uh... Uh, had enough marketing gravity on its own. Yeah. I I don't um, know what the comparison is between, like, Frozen and, like, Shrek, especially because it was made, what, like, 10, 10 plus years before. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be interested to do research about that. But I've also yeah, mentioned... Yeah, I know that's not the topic for today, but... Yeah. Music is probably one of the common beats. Oh, right? yeah, Just the, for sure. the popularity of those songs and, you know, little girls or little boys, like, singing Let It Go, um, just like you were singing, you know, Smash Mouth. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've mentioned it, like, a bunch of times now because I'm really excited about it. But there's an episode, uh, I want to say it's going to be episode seven, um, that's all about the differences between, like, a DreamWorks production and, like, a Disney production. Mm. Um, so that'll that'll probably have some, like, good insights on um, all the different kinds of merchandise and things like that. So. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. So this chapter, um, representing political regimes in the Shrek trilogy, um, there's a little introduction, basically just states that they like to play with power politics um, as well as race and gender conflicts. Um, And I know for me this is definitely true and a lot of my friends who I've spoken to about it already and I'm sure with episodes to come it'll it'll come up again and again. But the way that Shrek impacted our representation and interpretation of the world um, like I talked about with my friend Zach, um, we both kind of looked at the characters and the story and, and the way that it kind of flipped traditional fairy tale style things on its head. And like that, we both, our reaction was like about like the LGBT community and, and, um, like feminism and things that weren't like super big when we were that young um and obviously it it got huge but i i 
definitely remember, like, watching those movies and being like, wow, like, this is, there are, like, issues that I hadn't noticed. And obviously I was, like, four or whatever. Yeah. So it made sense that I hadn't previously known about them. But I think, I think it's really impressive the way that they incorporated those themes without being, like, super political about it. And that's another thing that I talked about with Zach. Um, yeah, I, I was actually going to say the same thing, that they were, they were, you know, prominent elements that I, they weren't hitting me over the head with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yet at the same time, it was very, like, accepting and fun. Um, and I, I didn't really think about it much, but, you know, it was touched on a little bit in this chapter. But you think about some of the, um, some of the, the ways that they addressed gender mm-hmm. in the, in the different movies, uh, in particular trans, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it was, you know, Pinocchio or, you know, one of the, um, I think it was one of the ugly step, stepsisters. Yeah, I, I think about that character um, a lot. I love that character. Yeah. So, and, and, um, and they were, and they were heroic characters also, yeah. like they weren't just kind of like side characters or, mm-hmm you know, objects, you know, they, they, they were part of the heroism of the story. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Like, I remember being a little confused by, um, I want to say the character we're thinking of, I want to say her name is like Doris or something along those lines. I don't know. I'm just going to call her Doris. Mm. Um, okay. But I remember being like really confused about her character because that was the first time I had seen like a like a trans character or a mm. gender questioning character. Um, and at first glance, like when you first meet her, I can't even remember when you first meet her, probably must be the second one. But I was at first I was like, oh, this is funny. It's like it's like a man like playing a woman. Mm-hmm. And and then like in the third one. She, like, joins forces with the princesses, and she, like, hangs out at... I'm pretty sure she's at Fiona's baby shower, and she, like, teams up with them when they go to, like, take over the evil musical. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The evil musical. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Evil Shrek the musical. Um, Uh, And the wolf, also. The wolf, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the other one I was thinking of. Um, Also, Gingy, as well. Um, mm-hmm. obviously a man because it's the gingerbread man, but uh-huh. always, I'm pretty sure always voiced by a woman and just very feminine features. Mm-hmm. Uh, another, another big character that I definitely got those, got those gay vibes from. Um, <laughs> yeah, very, yeah, very interesting. And so prominent and heroic but not like overtly part of the political message yeah just kind of weaved in like it's normal because mm-hmm. it is exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so um that was that was a big part and that doesn't necessarily have to do with politics but i mean it, i mean at this point like it kind of does because gender and sexuality is so politicized um yeah no i agree it's it's not part of the political regime you know discussion 
in some way, but I agree with what you said. It is definitely uh, a political issue, and and it and it actually does connect to the regime discussion because, you know, I think some of those the whole point is to exclude those that are other and those that are different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so maybe I mean maybe it was completely intentional um, to portray some of the uh, commonly other um, you know type people in in that way to as a kind of a conflict to the what the political regimes are are trying to accomplish yeah and that's definitely something I want to talk about um, but right now I just I want to introduce they basically discuss in this chapter three main types of political regimes that are represented in Shrek. Um, first is the liberal capitalist democracy in Far, Far Away, um, obviously run by King Harold and Queen... What is the Queen? I don't, even, I don't name, even remember. She's Julie Andrews. That's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. And I, t- I actually... I'm recording this a little out of order. I recorded episode four with Camilla this morning. Um, so we, we talked a little bit about that. Um, yeah. And, and how yeah. so, monumental so that, Julie Andrews was uh, and how important it was that she was in this actually. Right. I was going to say like similar to what I said earlier about, you know, Mike Myers and Eddie Murphy mm-hmm. and Cameron Diaz, like it was so cool for me to have them in this movie. Julie Andrews was probably the same for you. Yeah. Because like I mentioned, and I will it's going to be a little weird for the audience because I'm going to talk about it now, but I already talked about it, but you won't hear it until Monday. I don't know. But <laughs> I watched, like, The Sound of Music was, like, the first musical that I remember seeing and being like, wow, like, this is awesome. And I remember watching it at Nanny and Papa's house just over and over again. And, like, the whole thing, like, the whole <laughs> World War Two situation and... Yeah. um I didn't get it, but I liked the music, and mm-hmm. I liked all the characters, and Julie Andrews is just... Um, the greatest. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to come back to uh, something from Sound of Music later. Okay, that cool. I That I thought of when reading the chapter. Good to know. Um, <laughs> the second... Uh, I was going to say government. I guess, I guess it's a kind of government. Is it a kind of government? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the second sure. kind of government is uh, the totalitarian... Wait, I messed up. <laughs> I My boyfriend <laughs> just taught me how to say this word, and I already forget. Um, to- totalitarianism. Yes. Bingo. Bingo. Um, in Duloc, which is obviously the kingdom of Lord Farquaad, which never becomes a kingdom. Um, and that's a, that's a big one. Um I think it's definitely the most prominent, like, when you think about the government in Trek, that's probably what you think of, and right. the way that it rejected um, the other people, yeah. which we'll get to as well. And then the last one is the individualist anarchist space in Shrek's swamp, and that's actually the one I want to discuss first, um, right. because it comes first in the book. Um, so... They make it very clear uh, right off the bat that Shrek 
lives alone, loves to live alone, wants to live alone forever. And, like, as I was, I was talking about this with Zach, like, that's so good. Um, how everything that he does, um, specifically in the first movie, is all motivated by him just wanting to go home and be alone. And because the thing that I kind of realized in, like, reading this chapter specifically was that he is so scared um and he finds comfort and safety in being alone um one of the interesting things that i read was that like his self-acceptance only became an issue when he was placed in social situations and that like in the first couple scenes when it's just him he seems very comfortable with who he is and very comfortable mm-hmm. with his ogre body and very comfortable with, like, his preferences and, and the choices he he makes. Um, and I just... <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's funny and, and also really sad that as soon as, like, other people are in the picture, he starts, like, doubting himself and he starts, like, feeling not good enough and especially when he meets Fiona, um, just doesn't feel like he's good enough for her. Yeah. No, I, I, as you were talking, I was picturing that scene where he takes off the helmet Mm -hmm. finally. Uh, and he has this sheepish look about him. Um, you know, exactly like you said that he, he wonders if he measures up, Mm -hmm. um, so the, the whole idea of wanting to live alone and, um, you know, do, doing all that work in order to be alone, is it because he, that's really what he prefers or is it a reaction to something else? Yeah, and, and we obviously, we discussed that before we started recording. And one of the things that we talked about was actually in the musical, um, they, don't, they don't do much backstory on Shrek um in the movies you just kind of meet him as like an adult and he's doing whatever but in the musical the first scene is actually shrek and his parents he's like seven and it's adorable this teeny tiny little shrek um but they they're like this happens to every ogre and it's your turn and you gotta leave and go figure this whole ogre thing out for yourself and he's like oh man and he like gets chased by mobs and like people try to kill him every day and he's seven like that's (laughs) trauma that's like a serious traumatic experience so I would not be surprised at all if he didn't actually want to be alone and he was just scared of like getting killed all the time obviously exactly. like he finds ways to deal with it like in the very first scene he does get attacked by a mob and he just like roars at them and they go away um so he definitely like builds up strength and courage um from facing those difficult situations um yeah, it definitely feels a little bit like a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. Um, that because he's not accepted, he's embracing this idea of just being alone and keeping everybody else out. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah, and this this also comes back. Um, well, I guess it I guess it kind of happens again in the second movie when they they're about to go like meet the king and queen, and Shrek's like, I don't want to go. They're not gonna like us. Um, mm-hmm. And at that point, he's like trying to protect Fiona as well because she hasn't faced the world as an ogre. She faced the tower as an ogre and she faced herself as an ogre um but she was kind of unaware of how like other people would react and he was and he like tried to keep her from from going and they went anyway and it was horrible i always remember that like dinner scene where just all like the meats and the different animals are getting like flung across the table. Um, yeah. Um, yep. But and then it and then it returns again in the third movie, when the king, spoilers, uh, passes away, and which is so sad. That whole like the king's funeral. I was so sad as a kid. Um, <laughs> yeah. But they eventually ask Shrek to be the king. Um, and he's like, absolutely not. And he does literally everything in his power to avoid being king. Um, obviously, he eventually does get to go home um, after he finds Arthur, who's another great character. I love yeah. Arthur. And the whole, um, like, Arthur's high school and just everything that happens there is so brilliant. Um, but yeah, but yeah. it's a similar theme. Like he's uh, he's Arthur, and he's going to be king, but he was kind of a nerdy outcast, got picked on, and he got picked um, on by Lancelot and Guinevere. <laughs> That's genius. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh my gosh, and just like all the medieval jokes and just like subtle references that they make in that like whole sequence i just love um yeah we've been planning to have a big shrek marathon to like prepare for the podcast and we haven't gotten around to it (laughs) so i i really want to watch them again before i like go any further but i just don't have any time um to sit down and watch three movies um and coordinate with a bunch of people but yeah so did you have anything else you wanted to say about individual anarchism? Um, so, for him, it's a place where he can be free. Mm-hmm. Um, he is not going to be judged. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, I think those are... Those are important things. Yeah, and the other two things I didn't say is that there's an absence of authority, which I don't know if that's completely accurate because I think he's the authority, but at the same time, like we just talked about, it doesn't really seem like he wanted to do this necessarily. So I, I kind of get the impression that the authority is like more on the like societal side and he kind of responds... Mm-hmm to what other people think of him and what other people's reactions to him are. Um, and then the other thing they talked about was this concept of les bons sauvages. I can't speak French. Uh, 
the the noble savage. Yeah. Which. Le bon savage. Yeah. Yeah. Good job. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I liked that, and and it, it talked about um, uh, like Native Americans or Native peoples um, that to a quote civilized society seem savage right because they're not living in palaces with paved roads and um you know all the all the nice things that come with civilized society you know they're they're out in nature you know, like in the dirt and the wilderness you know fashioning homes out of animal hides and eating what they forage right so it 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 seems from one sense savage um but i think the perspective of the of the author was like that's that's the nobility um you know being at one with with your environment mm -hmm. and um you know finding that balance with with the environment and with the earth and with nature that that's that's the nobility that what savage is creating that you know the destroying the city and you know tearing down the trees and you know creating these 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 cities in its place and smog and pollution and overcrowding and like so it we actually have it backwards yeah. um and that's that's a part of that nobility of of shrek that he's um he, he he's there living in nature in his anarchist place but he's living off the land and mm -hmm. you know keeping you know he sees beauty in the swamp yeah and i mean i don't i don't want to compare shrek to native americans but i totally agree with you and that he kind of just makes do with what he has and and what seems appropriate let's move on to to try it totalitarianism it. Uh, nice <laughs> which is of course farquad's government Gulak. yeah yes so uh <laughs> i <laughs> when we were so i've mentioned this before in my sophomore year i was in shrek the musical at my high school and we did we had so many discussions about the communist nature of Duloc and the way that everybody dresses the same, everybody speaks the same, everybody has all the same resources, same amount of space, same opinions. Um, and we just, we kind of like made fun of it, but I, like, it's a very interesting form of society um and i honestly like haven't been like super exposed to that kind of situation like like a true like a true like oppressive situation where where people are forced to be the same and mm -hmm. i don't think that correct me if i'm wrong i don't think that still happens anymore i hope well, um, I mean, the ideas ex exist. The, the scary part is that it actually starts 
from an idea that actually sounds appealing. Yeah. Um, you know, we want to make a perfect society. Um, you know, we want it to look perfect. And Dulac has that in their, in their song. It's a perfect place. You know, we want everyone to look beautiful. We want the palace to look perfect and clean. Um, we want everything to have a place and everyone to be in that place. Like if you say those things, it doesn't sound like those, those don't sound at first like yeah. bad things. And I remember, I don't even remember when I started learning about um, like those, those kinds of governments. Um, but I remember thinking like, this sounds great. Like everybody gets equal opportunities and that that's the ideal and then i realized that absolutely just doesn't work it doesn't work like that it's yeah, not really at the expense of freedom yeah um and i think that's not that it's great to get evicted from your from your country but i i felt a little happy for like the fairy tale creatures when they were ejected from society, not that they were ejected from society, but just that they were kind of forced into recognizing their worth and their advantages and their strengths. And, um, like those, that like whole team of like Pinocchio and the gingerbread man and the wolf mm -hmm. and the mice, like they weren't together before they all got evicted. Um, I don't know. I think, yeah. like, oppression is obviously terrible. I'm not saying oppression is good. But it does bring minorities together in a way that, like, and if you think about things that are happening today, just the way that, like, women are coming together and, and the, the black community is coming together and the Asian community is coming together. And um, it's, it's huge right now. You can't... Yeah go on your phone or your computer without seeing something about it, which is a good thing. Um, it should, be, yeah. it should be out there. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is that, um, it can, it can lead to something good. Mm -hmm. it, it may, it may lead, lead them to a better place. Um, if that's possible, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you think of the extreme of like the Holocaust, like that didn't end well for a lot of people. Right. Um, so, you know, keep that, you know, keep yeah, that yeah, yeah. in mind. Right. Um, and I just, but... I think the big thing is that it can bring about change. And I think change, even if it's not necessarily in the right direction at the time, like we learn from these things and like you, like you just brought up the Holocaust as an example of like what's bad. And I, that happens every day that somebody's like, will will remember the holocaust and this is what happened and this is why it's bad and i even though that's not a, it's obviously a terrible thing like but i think it is good that we have like it like just like horrible experiences that we're like okay we're not going to do that again to learn from yeah, yeah. precisely yeah of, of course um uh, but yeah so I, I think that's one of the scary things is that um you know something like that can can start from an initial idea that actually sounds appealing to people, mm -hmm. um, you know, and the, the obvious parallels to Nazi Germany and Hitler's rise to power, you know, promising people a better economy, um, you know, so things can be better for all of us as long as we get rid of those people. Um, and we can have, the, you know, 
we can have all the nice things. We just got to kind of get rid of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then, then it becomes oppression because then, then you, there's no longer any individualism mm-hmm. or free expression. Diversity. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's obviously a huge issue with Duloc. Um, like yeah, the... they're told what to do, what to say, when to clap, when to laugh, <laughs> uh, you know, when to when to attack, uh, who to attack. Yeah. Um, but then you have the fairy tale creatures, and you have their rebellion and sense of self that they only find when they're evicted, and. Um, like I mentioned in, I guess, the last episode with Zach, um, in Freak Flag, in the musical, mm. the, like, big, like, climax is when they're like, what makes us special makes us strong, and that's great. I love, <laughs> I love when they, like, embrace what they always hated about themselves and what they always thought the people didn't like. So I want to, I want to kind of move it along. Um, let's just talk a little bit about the liberal democracy in far, far away. So the first thing I notice when I, when I think about far, far away is that the people are super happy. It seems that way at least. Um, Mm -hmm. like the, the peasants, like the citizens of, of far, far away, just, they, they really seem to like their leaders um they of course except for when fiona steps out of the carriage the onion and they're like what is this she is an (laughs) ogre this is not what we expected um but yeah but for the most part like you said they're happy but what are they happy about i have no idea like i think they're just happy that they're like safe and they're not being oppressed Hmm. i mean that's I mean, obviously they're very far away from Dulac, but chances are they probably know what's going on over there. And I don't know, like when I hear about, I'm not going to name any names, but when I hear about like other countries where the government is like like more controlling than it is here, I'm thankful that I was born in America um, and I'm sure it's the same. Everywhere. I'm sure people who don't live in America are happy that they weren't born in America. Um, but yeah, yeah. I wonder about the people of far, far away. They, do, I agree with you. They seem happy, um, but they seem to me to be happy about very superficial things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're happy about. Their nice shopping, right? There's that like Rodeo Drive, Beverly Hills type scene. You know, they're happy with their entertainment shows. Um, And I don't know. I don't know how much substance there is to be happy about, but Mm -hmm. they they seem to be very entertained by superficial things. Yeah. And the other thing I notice is that there's. They don't show any kind of outliers 
in far far away so i don't know if if those outliers were just kind of like this isn't my scene and left or if there just never were any or if they're hiding or i don't know like there doesn't seem to be really any like opposition well, except the bar except the, the bar the, but the bar is like yeah. at the edge like at the very edge and honestly like I guess I guess everybody like hates the people who who hang out at the bar because if you don't know the bar I forget what it's called it's like the something about a cauldron I don't know yeah it's I something don't, I don't about remember. a cauldron um and all like the villains hang out there so like Captain Hook is there and um, there's some weird ones like I mean like the Wicked Witch is there and but there's also like the um. Oh God! What's his name? The guy from Pinocchio, who owns Pinocchio. Geppetto. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's there. <laughs> really? Yeah, and they're like <laughs> everybody hates me because I like wanted to keep Pinocchio, but he wanted to be a real boy. Hmm. Yeah, I thought that was weird. Um. And then yeah, but yeah. like those seem like the the others that are not included in far far away right yeah it also doesn't seem like they actually live in far far away i imagine they're all just kind of like spread out and that's like their like meeting spot i don't know um i just looked it up the poison apple poison apple okay and you were right about doris doris that was her name yeah and she's like a bartender there right yeah. 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 That's awesome. Do you want to say what you were going to say about Julie Andrews? Because we can talk about the king and queen a little bit. You mentioned before we started recording that the king is a frog, and he too is yeah. subject to the the fear of being who he is. He was born a frog, and then he, he turned into a, a king. Oh. And, and and yeah, the fairy godmother. They made uh, some turned kind of him deal. into a king, yeah. into a person, but but then there was this issue with uh, this deal with mm-hmm. Fiona and then uh, Prince Charming. But mm-hmm. the the thing I was going to say, like exactly as far far away, you know, looks beautiful, looks lovely, but might be superficial. Here we have a king who's not really a king; is really a frog. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, that was very um, kind of a parallel. Um, the Julie Andrews thing, just to say it, and this really goes back to the total, total. Now you you, you <laughs> caught me. I call it total totalitarianism. Yeah. Um. Um. I was thinking of the Sound of Music. Yeah. And you know the Nazi regime and the scene where the 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 boyfriend or Rolf. the friend who Rolf, where he has that decision to make to yeah. blow his whistle or not blow his whistle, mm-hmm. and he chooses to blow his whistle. And what? Doesn't he? Doesn't no, he, blow, he lets them blow go. Whistle? He doesn't? He lets them go. Really? Yeah. Huh. I thought he blew the whistle. No? No. Well, you would know. You've seen it more than me. Yeah. But that, yeah. I in, think. In, in a, I don't know. In a totalitarianist state, the people end up becoming so focused on kind of maintaining it mm-hmm. that they will even turn on them, each other. Right. Um, that it's not just about the government controlling, the people end up kind of controlling along with it. 
and that mm-hmm. that made me think of that scene. I guess I remember it wrong, <laughs> but um, but that was uh, I think a, a an illustration of what it can be like. He almost did it. Yeah, we'll say he was he like pulled up, and they were just like, "Shh, please don't tell anyone we're here." And then Lisa was like, "Rolf, please." And then and then he was like, "Yeah, no, there's no one over here," and he left. Okay, I think good. That's good how I remember it. Yeah. I don't know. Could probably just look it up, but it's cool. It can live on in my memory the way that I remember it. <laughs> yeah, no, you're probably right. Okay. I I feel like it would be a lot harder to watch and have a lot sadder ending if they got Like what did you think happened after that they got they got away anyway? Is what oh, okay. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure he didn't blow the whistle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, so did you have anything else you wanted to say about Far Far Away? Um, I think, you know, so Shrek in his swamp um, is using fear to keep everybody out. Mm-hmm. Um, that Duloc uses fear to keep everybody in line. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started thinking, all right, what's, what's the fear element in far, far away? Yeah. Um, and maybe it's, um, you know, just a main, I don't know, fear of not being like relevant or popular. Yeah. It seems like you said, like very superficial, very like Hollywood and Mm -hmm. just like, how, how can I be relevant without like sticking out? And how can I be safe while still, like, enjoying my life and having fun and doing exciting things? And yeah. I I definitely agree that the... And the, the Queen and King are, like, pretty cool. Like, I don't, I don't think they, like, did anything weird that would, like, set off the citizens. Um, so it's nice that they don't have that to worry about. And they're just kind of focused on, like, image and and they're yeah that's the thing they have to maintain that image yeah they have to maintain the image and monitor like how others perceive them which is another big theme that we already talked about um so i think i think a lot of this and that like i'm noticing more and more is just all about image and perception like i just said and um like others opinions and then self-acceptance and one of the things I talked about with Camila this morning that you'll hear on Monday um we talked a lot about like validation and how Shrek and Fiona although like by the end of the movie they're both like validated and they both have like self-confidence it came from each other like they didn't they didn't like have like a big switch where they're like oh I believe in myself because I'm cool. It was just like, I believe in myself because you believe in me. Mm. And while that's like great, it's, it's not exactly ideal. And it's not exactly like the best message to send to kids that like you need a partner and you need to be in love to be happy and to love yourself. And I mean, I never noticed that as a kid. I didn't really notice that Mm -hmm. until now because it, everybody got married at the end of their movie 
right. like every single princess and just just all the all the movies they made for kids ended with them being together um one of the first yeah. ones that i remember not doing that was like brave and everybody kind of shits on brave because they're like it's boring and it's just dark and i love <laughs> brave like so do I. So do I. I think it's a great movie and i just i love like the colors and the music and like the folklore with the witch um yeah i was just thinking of brave the other day i'm i'm watching a movie uh that takes place in in scotland mm-hmm. um and uh so it made me think of a couple of scenes yeah uh, from from brave um, the one thing I was going to say about what you were saying about the, the acceptance uh, or the validation, um, like maybe maybe it's not so bad because, you know, they were they were not feeling good about themselves because they were being excluded for who they are. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, somebody accepted them for who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that, that can be. That can be validating, but I get your yeah. point that it, it shouldn't it shouldn't require that. Um, you know, it, it would be better if if they could feel validated even on their own. Yeah. Um, you know, which everybody deserves. Mm-hmm. These three regimes in in the book, investigating Shrek, are presented as like very different, and as you said before, we even started talking about like fear and the parallels between all of the different societies, that they're very similar and that they have a lot of the same themes and the same kinds of things going on that, that cause problems. And um, I, really, I really think a big one of those things is fear and, and how it manipulates people into like following the rules or like, in Shrek's case, like, self-oppression and self, like, limitation. Um. Yeah. Yeah, and if you think about the how each movie ends, and there's, like, the, the happy celebratory scenes, mm-hmm. you know, what do they all look like? They they are very diverse. Yeah. Right? The, the separations and the the you know, keep these people out, like that's broken down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's integrated and and diverse and free. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, from, from all three, the idea is to somehow break that down, break down the wall and integrate, um, be inclusive um, and free. Yeah. Dad... I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I had a lot of fun uh, reading this chapter and, and exploring some political regimes. I learned a lot, and I'm really looking forward to releasing this episode and seeing what people have to say about it. So yeah, hope- thank you, thank you for including me. Yeah, of it course. was uh, it was fun to, for me to uh, read the chapter and think about these topics, but also kind of reminisce about watching the movie you know yeah. when when you were little and uh you know thinking about about those times this was uh this was really fun thank Great. you okay so uh in the next episode 
as I mentioned, I already recorded it, um, will be released Monday, March 26th, and I'm pretty excited. Uh, we're discussing Shrek and the female body image, um, and my guest star is my very close friend, uh, Camila Santos. So, um, I really hope you all enjoyed this episode, and Dad, thank you again for talking with me. Um, I miss you a lot, and I can't wait to come home. Uh, yeah, until next time, be well, everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>